There was one night that this beau was walking me down the street and he, he walked on the side of the cars, right, to protect mm-hmm. the cars. And it had been a really lovely night. I was sort of very much in my complementarity of solo lunar. There were, my lunar was leading, my solo was executing, it was all good. There were no blind spots from both of us. And I jump on his side in return. Because uh, I said, why did you do that? And he goes, I'm protecting you. So I jumped on the side. I was like, I'm going to protect you now. <laughs> really upset him. And I said, oh, and we held space. I said, look, I, I don't want to upset you. But I have to be honest, it, it truly is coming from a place of wanting to protect you too. I, I am happy to receive that from you. But I also want you to know that I care about you too that much that I would, I would like to give you that same, that same love and respect and protection. And my inner child boy spirit is having a great night tonight and wants to play, like wants to play in the sand pit and be silly. And there are no cards. It's the middle of the night. There's no one here. And it's irrational almost that you walked on that side, but I'm in that spirit of play. And then that allowed him to heal as well. So it was kind of cool, this paradigm of me coming to the table, sort of very alpha distorted, alpha blind spotted, if for want of a better solar distorted healing that and then realizing on the other side the sort of the domino effect of the the mutual healing and that sort of constant gift giving hello my name is clay boykin and i am in search of the new compassionate male i believe in the midst of these incredible times of change a new compassionate male is emerging as the new archetype And this podcast is intended to give voice to both men and women on the overarching topic of compassion consciousness in men. Hello, world. It's me, Dennis, and we are in search of the new compassionate male. I am the producer of this particular podcast, and I'm here with the host and the founder, Clay Boykin. Hello, Clay. Hello, Dennis. It's great to see you, and it's great to have our guest, Clara Francesca. And we're just going to jump right into this. Clara, Let's go. You know, you're playwright, actor, director, magi- musician. Magician. Magician as well, yep. <laughs> a law degree, biosciences degree. You've been in the C-suite with a special speech coaching. Um, you've done it at the UN, and you are a... Yep. As you say, a philosopher of the heart making art. Mm, Just pick that, it up there. Tell us a little bit about that. Where'd that well, come from? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea where that phrase came from, but I do know that I love to make work and work with people and make them feel good about themselves as we're doing the work in whatever form that is, either through speech coaching, one on one, or in group sessions, or artistically. And I'll mention that in a minute. And so I realized that I was a, I was a philosopher in hiding. I was hiding under the guise of an artist. My art is an excuse oh. to manipulate with people's minds and <laughs> a little bit of an anarchist way. But I'll take your lead, Dennis, and circle back to my own thought just then. An example of, I think, the spaces where philosophy and the heart are really important in the acting world is I did a show on a main stage theater in Melbourne city at the malt house. It's kind of like the public theater equivalent of New York city. It's sort of a, they do sort of mm, serious theater, non-musical based narrative based. And it was called the tunnel rat. And it was about the tunnel rats and the Vietnam veterans. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the the tunnel rat. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very yes. small community in many ways too, and underrepresented and discussed. Anyway, we did this piece and it was wonderful on so many levels, but the reason that really showed me how powerful my job is was that we had a lot of Australian tunnel rats come see this show in Melbourne. Mm. And some of the the men left the show early, uh, which, you know, you jokingly before that act, men have vanity while actors have huge egos, which is very oh, yes. early. But then weeks after we closed the season, I got emails and phone calls from partners of these men saying that it was after seeing our play that they finally started to break down and cry about it and tell their partners about their experience. And these are people that have been married together for like 30 plus years. Amazing. So, yeah philosophy and art from the heart i think really really is very special and you don't know what you don't know right the the vain actor not knowing what we had done to cause him to leave five minutes early but then to hear on the other side the alchemizing that we had gifted them and be able like they just needed to leave to get some space but that gift that we were able to sort of give and the gift that they taught us in return to get over ourselves too and just trust in the space that we're holding Mm, what an what an intimate connection I, I I could feel when you were saying that I could I, I could feel that, and uh, you're, you're from Mel- Melbourne, right? Yeah. Okay. You have Clara. You your this idea that here in 2021 something appears to be happening to our species. This is what Clay and I are feeling. This is the Clay you you've been talking about as we've ta- been talking with the with the scientists and and uh, anthropologists and uh, and people who are studying the evolution of the human species that something appears to be happening. This this idea of the the patriarchy that we have this hierarchical thinking uh this this has rotted away we are now but but it has to be nature abhors a vacuum it has to be supplanted by something that and this is us where we went into in search of the new compassionate male and what is the role of compassion what is the role and the the equality and the synergy of of men and women and people across the gender spectrum are there. So can you pick something out of what I just said and, and drive on? Yeah. I'm going to talk a bit personally and I'll be as, thank you. Oh, yes, please do. This is just like, blah, blah, blah. And then someone's like, just bring it in, just bring it in. So in terms of the spectrum that you were talking about and, and the shift that's happening, one thing that comes to mind is a, a, someone who's very close to me, we were discussing um, safe sex and STI testing and, and doing all that together. And it's flavored by cultural differences and society differences too. For example, in Australia, we have access to medical welfare. It's, it's there. It's, it's not as large as it is in America. Yeah. The, and, the, and the net effect is that you can get an STI test for pretty much for free. It's not, it's not as strenuous. It's, it's less kind of hidden information about it. And there's extreme nuances around all of that. But anyway, I'm here now in New York city with this partner and who's male. And we were discussing getting STI checked and 
he's a very delightful human being and it was very exciting for me to have him want to get tested normally it's me sort of kicking and screaming down doors being like we gotta do this sure. and so went off and get tested and then he went off and got some more sexual education information health about different sort of mm, protection methods from condoms sure. etc and in this conversation he was having with the person who was mentoring him with this information, the mentor said to my partner, you should get her to wear the female condom because why should you do all the work? And in my training of violence against women and training with various organizations back in Australia and my personal experience, when I heard my partner say that back to me, it sounded really violent against women. I was like, wait a second there are 15 different methods to protect from pregnancy three of which men use (laughs) i think we're doing plenty of work also if we do get pregnant who does all the work also if we do get pregnant and we want the child if there's still fatality rates and there's like (laughs) fire i'm sicilian origin my my flames are flaring up (laughs) and then i think okay he's about to say to me that like he educated this mentor no, no, no. He says to the mentor, I, I'm not very good at convincing you know, my partner. And I was like, ah, why are we in that paradigm where you have to convince me? We can just talk through this stuff. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. It was a lovely conversation. And it really, really balanced. And there's some obvious things in there that I'd love to get your reflections on. But I want to add something to that before I wrap this part of the conversation. And that was after my partner really sat down and had this conversation with me, which was new to me. He, there was no resistance from him. He totally took all the feedback. He was able to be accountable and responsible and really see the conversation. He's excited to go back to this mentor and be like, can we just bring this conversation back around? I just want to mention this other perspective. Um, we spoke about the fact that a lot of traumas happen in that space for women too, which adds to why sometimes they don't want to put stuff up there. And it's a little easier to wear a condom on a phallus than it is like sticking things in there hymens and the pain around hymens and that's never discussed blah blah blah. so that was all really cool and healing from the gender but in terms of the other shift that's happening uh is that as the patriarchy the the male supremacy as male supremacy is breaking down i'm having to relearn things because when my partner was so amenable to taking the feedback and hearing me out and that made me feel good and sexy and safe and blah 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 I also had anxiety after this conversation where I was like, I don't know how to deal with this much kindness. Like, (laughs) it really, really scared me. Like, am I being tricked? Was the first thought that came to mind. I think that's when I wanted to pick up on the sort of paradigm of as that breaks down, which is wonderful, then the the trauma effect, triggering effect also needing to, to taper itself and checking in with that, if I make sense. You do. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. I I was wondering, was there a a feeling of a different kind of responsibility? For me? Yeah. When he showed up that way. And then you you could show up in a way that you hadn't necessarily often been able to show up. And now you're stepping into it. And you have full responsibility to speak that. Now you're there. Actually, I reflected that back to him, too, because I said, you know, traditionally, I either would super fight back just for the fighting, mm-hmm. because I wasn't getting space to be heard, or I would suppress and just be like, well, they'll figure it out in their own time. So, yeah, having to own that space and show up to that space did feel different. 
And I was proud of both him and I, but I could see where that pain could have really sent us both off, right? To defensiveness, to anxiety, to judgment, to suppression. Yeah. What helped you to sit there in that liminal space, right? Is that the liminal space, Mm -hmm. uh, Clay? Mm -hmm. In that liminal space, okay, I've got two choices. I can go down this road or I can sit down at that because this is your life journey. This is how, you know, we work on ourselves a long time for just those moments. That's an excellent question. I want to jokingly say failed relationships after 20 years. Uh, My, yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I've taken that road, I've gone, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm being, you know, in that lim- liminal space, we call- mm-hmm. it was a sense of really trusting each other, like really wanting to be there together. And not just for sexual partners, even for strangers on the street. I piece three weeks ago where I was doing clown work and immersive clown work COVID safely with strangers on the street to make this very point that it's safe to be in symposium together with healthy boundaries and so if, if I'm going to do a play about that live on the street with strangers I would be pretty hypocritical if I couldn't hold that space with someone that I'm intimate with ah, and that's the other thing too the lesson that I'm learning of the joy of monogamy and intimacy being really present for each other so that you're seeing yourself clearer without running away from yourself. Clara, you know, you're creating that space and him creating that space. And I'm looking over your left shoulder at that piece of art. And that's what I see. That's what I see. Yeah. But you have to understand clay is a master sculptor. He is a sculptor and an artist. Don't let him, don't even look at, look at me. Don't look at him. <laughs> let, let, let him go because he's modest, but he is, he's an extraordinary. So when he gives you feedback like that, he's giving you from a, from a truly master's eye when he, when he talks about that. And I have, you know, Clara, uh, the, this is such a fascinating opportunity for us to build trust with one another this the the schisms that we have had if that's the plural of it uh are, are so we're getting a chance to reheal and we're not we're, we're healing the planet as we're as we're getting a chance to deal with what we've done to our planet to our home planet that we live on also what we have done to one another, what we have done to, uh, to one another. And that's where I see the compassion uh, being such an important part, because I, I have to deal with compassion. It's not just dealing with my compassion for you, because I have learned over my, and certainly as an actor, you've known in Clay, and I have talked about this for thousands of hours, is that unless I am willing and willing to explore compassion for myself, Unless I'm willing to go to that space and and really to treat myself with a kind of kindness, everything else that I do is superficial. It it may have an it may have a, a, just a palliative effect, but it it isn't doesn't have the transformative effect it can do if I if I've walked that way first myself. Yeah, it brings to mind too some work I did when I was seventeen and eighteen and. I'm not sure how the podcast works with trigger warnings, but it's pretty sensitive. Permission. How old? All right. So how old are you from then? 
<laughs> well, Dennis, <laughs> you play. I'm whatever age you want me to be. I know, I know. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll do anything. I can do anything. But now, now that you did it, you said it. I didn't do, I didn't start it out. So how far, how long ago was this? So we'll know. Uh, I'm 73. Clay's 66. Minus 17. All right. Good enough. Go for it. So, but yeah, so, but it, it is sensitive. Um, but in Australia, we don't believe in capital punishment and we don't have life sentences for most prisoners. Sometimes it might have that effect, but that's not the practice in the country. And there's an organization there called ACSO, the acronym for Australian Service Community, wait, ACSO, Australian Community Service Organization. And at the age of 17, 18, I started to get mentored by one of the senior leaders at AXO. Her name was Sister Claire. She was an Irish survivor nun from the Irish Revolution. She had been horrifically gang raped multiple times as a child, immigrated to Australia, I think through the church. She had become a nun over there. And she must have been in her 70s when I had met her. And she was mentoring me in a practice that she would do for healing people who had done really horrific sexual crimes, generally towards women or children. And we would go to these high stake prisons about three hours out of Melbourne city. And we would sit in rooms and just talk to these individuals one-on-one. She never preached the Bible. She never preached God. She was just talking about compassion and compassion for self. There were really intense sessions and and the core element of when the individual would break down to then self-reflect was in that moment where they realized how much they had been so horrific to themselves to then cause so much disgusting pain to someone else. And that's a really extreme example of that. But I think it really models the truth of how we could walk the world together if we had that self-compassion directly for ourselves. And also on the I don't know if it's a complementarity to compassion, but the the human phenomenon that often when we've been traumatized, we believe that we have a right to traumatize others in a sort of shutting down of that compassion of self and and how without that antidote of compassion, it really gets very hard to walk through life without harming people really aggressively, even if it's indirectly. In Australia... Um, I have a friend there, and he talks about the high suicide rate among men mm. and uh, the sense that the the rules, the laws in relationships and child you know custody and so forth that it is all i mean really tilted away from the man, and there are a lot of men who've gone into a helpless, hopeless, and consequently the suicide, suicide rate's very high. It's amazing. You've just opened up a portal inside of me. A good friend of mine is going through some of that, and I hadn't seen it from that perspective, to be honest with you. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about family law at all in Australia. I, I did a lot of medical science law and was a junior, junior, junior baby when I was doing it. And I loved contracts, but I don't know much about the actual law. But in terms of the effect, I want to share or offer that what struck me with the work that I was doing with Sister Claire was that she had done the work in herself to be to trust herself, this concept of trust we mentioned before, trust that she could be in this room with these men and they could not hurt her. Mm 
there was nothing that they could do to hurt her. There was trauma, there was pain, there was stuff for her to heal. It didn't mean what happened to her was okay by any stretch of the imagination, but that she had come to a place of owning. Also, like you both said, like when I was talking to my partner, it's really being in that space and owning it, not being afraid of it, not needing to fight it, not needing to run from it, to be there. And I think when individuals come to that space, you know, icky things can go down, but you have more autonomy of self-love and trust and compassion. And very few women want to talk about that because the trauma has been so horrific for so long and scary that I think hearing your reflection, Clay, about men in Australia with a high suicide rate because of loss of family, I would bet some money that until the women side of that conversation are really looking at themselves and how they're releasing out information to that male partner, it's going to be really hard to heal that. And, you know, even in that conversation I was having with my partner the other day about STIs, men are, you know, the men are often brainwashed to not perceive the nuanced complication that the women is going through with the trauma of, parenting the pressure of parenting some of them are forced into giving birth the the all of that and so when you have one party that is so can't think of a good word but trapped in their own stuff and then the other party who's just assuming that there's nothing wrong then yeah of course you've got the the sort of mother side or the the Mm -hmm. side not really holding space for that in terms of suicide um Yeah, I mean, right, when we take away people's compassion and trust and value of self, we take away their desire to to live, and it's it's horrific. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that because I I went through uh, a, really been going through a lot of learnings, and, and, and I went through a period of time a couple of months ago where I lost the want to live. Now, you have to understand, it's not the will to live. I had the will to live, but that that basically get up in the morning and going, wow, this is, I've got something to do. I'm, I'm, I had lost that. I, and it was strange, especially for someone who is so purpose-driven as I am. When that was gone, it was like really, really absent. And so I, I, I in in the the work that you have done and in the work that you're doing for the human, you know, and, and you're seeing this, this, this evolution of humanity, I want to see how we can have both the, the, the will and the want and to see men and women be able to have the kinds of deeper conversations than we've allowed ourselves to do. And your example is a great, your, your, your experience with your partner is a great example of it. What happens when we sit and find ourselves in a place where we have a conversation that we've never had before? Right, with the disclaimer that stuff might come up that is even more exposing and more scary. Absolutely, which will always so so that that's that's really the, the the place. How you've been doing that, Clay? Haven't you been doing that? Really, been exploring the place to be able to really to to explore conversation in your life and that you've been having. I have, and um, what <clears throat> what really opened it up for me was engaging and working with um, an organization called Gender Equity and Reconciliation International. And um, the point that they make, they've been, they work all over the world, 
10 different countries. They've, you know, Desmond Tutu. And I mean, these people are on the planet for a purpose and they're, they're living that purpose. The point that they make is that both women and men are wounded. And not that we're going to compare wounds, but if we can find a space, well, like you and your partner did, find a space to come together and without judgment and to share and to learn that, you know, that's where the healing begins. The grant, the larger social justice and all these other pieces, absolutely in the trenches, it's me and it's you and the recognition that you're wounded and I'm wounded. And that's our common frame of reference that we can both be heard and we can both heal. That makes me feel that, that I feel so uh, touched by that clay because I can, it's, it's very hard for me. I, Clara, I grew up in, 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 deep privilege. I've had an upper middle class background in the United States. I, uh, there was never food insecurity. I was always had, uh, I was always enriched educationally, whatever I needed was taken care of all. And, and so, and of course, uh, the texture of my, the, the, uh, the tint of my skin and my masculine. So it, I, it put me into a position of privilege that I, and that I wouldn't, didn't even understand. And certainly as I've been, so it's difficult for me to to understand people who uh, to 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 truly to be able to say I understand what someone else is going through. However, this framing of it of being able to say each of us has wounds because there were many wounds as I was growing up that are going, that I can heal, and if I can sit in the place where you know the the, the term Namaste, right? You know when you are in that place in you. And I am in that place in me. There is only one of us. And, you know, that place where we can say both of us are here, like you and your partner were both there in a place of new conversations that neither of you have had. And it didn't have to be a tilted playing field. It was a fresh opportunity. You mentioned this concept of privilege and also... I'm curious to talk more about that with both of you because I, uh, yeah, similarly have an incredible amount of privilege, but also the privilege to think about other people's experiences. I, I, I really actually took that, I think, for granted until I immigrated to America. And I remember a good friend of mine calling me up one night because he'd had a horrible altercation at work because he was vilified for his darker melanin tone level. And I, that's a space that I am very committed to discussing at length about because I think there needs to be a lot of healing there, especially in the acting world, the irony of us apparently being empaths, myths, and we're some of the most horrible humans that you can <laughs> in a bad mood. So, so it's a conversation that really matters. But this friend of mine called me up, really perturbed. We took some really important action steps. We drafted a letter that he wanted to write. Things unfolded that were helping the healing that conversation. However, then the next day he and I checked in and I remember him saying, wait, you think about 
people like me daily? I was like, yeah, you don't think about every other human type daily? And then I realized the, I don't know what the word is. So let me finish the thought and then I want to get all your thoughts on, on analyze me. But I do daily think if I see a little old lady climbing the subway of any race or demographic, I think to myself, if she's living alone, how is she opening her jar of pickles? Like, can she do that? I think about, you know, trans rights on a daily basis. I think about people who have my body type rights on a daily basis. I think about the fact that a lot of men over 60 that are lighter skin toned and are allowed to cry on a daily basis. And not in a miserable way, but in like, oh, okay, human check-in, human check-in, human check-in. Okay, cool. But I hadn't realized that I did that until this friend of mine mentioned it really a couple of months ago, really. I mean, it's very recent awareness that I had of my empathy privilege. I don't know what that is. I'd love your thoughts. Oh, Clay, would you tell her the story of what we did with John? Because I think this, his, his saying about what it, when we, we, when George Floyd was murdered, we met with, with Clay's, uh, a dear friend of Clay's and I got a chance to be in on this conversation and it, and I think it points to what you were talking about. Would you tell that story, Clay? Well, yeah, it was, it was shortly after George Floyd was murdered and uh, John is my prayer chaplain and he's black and he's gay. And one of the most incredible people I've ever known. And I needed to talk with him because the George Floyd event, you know, our night on that Monday night was our men's circle. And we didn't know what was going on out there. And our topic was aspiration. What do you want to be? You know, at the same time, George Floyd was being murdered. And that just hit me the next morning. I said, I got to talk to John. I got to process this. And um, John came on and we, we spoke for probably three hours. And um, one of the things I got to one point, I mean, I'm just totally in this conversation. Listen, hearing what he's saying. And I said, John, what do I do? John looked at me and said, do your homework. I've been studying you for hundreds of years. Like you said. You study me. I've learned how to live in your world. Now you learn how to live in my world. And it was the most uncomfortable and at the same time powerful moments that I heard something and it really meant something. And I really knew that this was a turning point for me. And me. Yeah. And that's what you're studying. You're natural. There is a nature for those on the hierarchical pyramid of the way we have. We have forgotten. We think because we're there that we don't have to study. And that's what I'm, I'm so grateful you're bringing out, Clara, because that gives us it gives me it helps me to get back to that permission for studying i i i i drive 
my wife nuts, Melissa, because I, I, I'm as a, as an actor and as a writer and as a director, I will sit there and I can't go five seconds on a DVR before stopping and going, did you, did you hear that line? Did you see how that was delivered? Did you, do you see how that, that beautiful background is that, uh, you know, it's, it's really awful to watch television with me. I promise you it's, 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 it's their experience, but, but that's the empathy that I want to be able that, that I'm de- working to develop. And that's what we're doing as we're, as we're doing is really opening our hearts, opening our minds to other ways that isn't just this individuated ego. I want to really commend you both. If I have that space and permission to do that, that that story I think is really powerful. And I think it's a really important modeling for others to, to learn from. And, you know, you're both still in your chairs. The sun is rising. Nothing yeah, happens. Right. Revelation. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask, so you're doing um, speech coaching at the executive level. So you might be in the boardroom or be near the boardroom. And I always wonder, because my corporate days are long past, does compassion show up in there? It does more. I really think since last year, people have had a, a booster shot of compassion in the workplace. And some of it is really performative and almost offensive. I mean, not almost, it is offensive, but at least they're using the word, sure, which is different to what I noticed five years ago, which wasn't, the word wasn't even allowed to be in the space. I'm noticing it more and it's possible that I'm attracting more clients who are really interested in using it now more as well. What really excites me by a lot of the people that I get to work with either individually or in groups is that they're generally aware that something's not right. There's something quite sitting with them, right? And so a good good example is like a client that comes to me, they've just immigrated to America and they want to sound more American. So they want me to work on the generic American accent. I'm like, okay, great. I can teach you that. Like, it's just muscle memory. We can totally do that. But really what's going on is a distrust in self or a fear of being abused by their boss if they use the wrong term. And so we work through doing that. So I I like to liken it that my job is to take acting exercises and convince corporates that they're serious exercises or to take accent reduction modification work and to make them realize they don't need to modify very much at all. It's just about liking themselves a bit more. So in that space, they're often willing to look at compassion and deepen their love of self. And then that permeates in the company. But generally they're coming to me knowing that something's up. They're just not quite sure what it is. I wonder, I wonder if we're graduating from, you know, the buzzword has been, you know, radical empathy. Now think about that. Those two words, (laughs) Yeah, it's like fucking for virginity, right? Yeah. I mean, you're just (laughs) fighting for peace. Yeah, (laughs) fighting for peace. And it's it's from a neck up, you know. And I don't want to – I mean, there's a lot of good that the consciousness has been raised about empathy. But we've taken it to this fight. You know, we're going to fight for empathy, radical empathy. Could it be possible that we're awakening to what's – the next step from empathy, which is empathy and action, which is compassion. 
and we're learning that word and that, you know, I really truly believe, I mean, Dennis and I've talked to people all over the world and it boils down. It comes over and over and over again, that this burn that's within the man that he once thought was fear and negative was actually a spark, a divine spark of compassion. He just doesn't know how to get it out. And if we can name it and say, that's what this is. It's the step beyond empathy. Take it. That will. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to that, but I want to share these two anecdotes because they struck me. So yesterday I was on set working with some fabulous colleagues and this one colleague of mine has just made a baby. The baby's out. It's made. It's six months old or something. And he was describing he and his wife deciding to get pregnant during COVID and what that entailed and him being an actor and she being more of a job kind of person. And the stigma around, you know, male needing to provide and being the actor and our salary is always being very <laughs> colorful and uh, in and out. And he, he mentioned this fact that when COVID hit, he became overprotective of his wife to the point where he wouldn't let her out of the house and he did a little shopping and, and acknowledging an element of craziness in that kind of description but also the deep, deep, deep love and protection that is at the core of that. And I don't know, I'm not in a male body, but that struck me as an example of this spark where if it's, if it's used in a way that is about a desire to, to be present empathetically with self and the loved ones in your life, it can be very healing and loving. But if it's, but if it's used with this sort of bow of fear on it, it becomes oppressive and controlling and manipulating and, and, and scary. And he was describing his few months in COVID of sort of meeting himself in that space that he had sort of, you know, generally there, from what I could understand, very chill, relaxed, loving couple. They just had to make a baby. Then COVID hit, it got scary. And his impulse to protect and be there and have this compassion for himself and, and her was wonderful, but it almost overstepped because he was panicking about his responsibility in this space. And once he let go of a distorted responsibility of the, you know, culture like man must produce X amount of money. And he's like, look, this is where we're at. This is what we want to do. This is how we can do it happily and healthily. Once he get in, got into that paradigm, he started to release and it became more about, hey, I would prefer if you stayed inside and I'll go do the shopping so that we're not exposing you to the baby or, you know, to COVID, da, da, da. So just, I don't know, that's, that memory just struck me when you were sharing that, Clay. I'm, I'm so grateful that we're talking about this because it appears, Clara, that to me is that uh, how, how would we know if, something is shifting in the world and there appears to be an and to to me the that the once the the internet connected the world that it was like like a uh, training wheels like it gave us an example of that we're all in this together because we can very quickly we can we can on real time or virtual real time, be able to talk with you and be able to have this conversation that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there would have been a, an enormous amount of infrastructure would have had to get in place just for us to be able to connect. But the fact that we're having this conversation is actually having an impact 
it's having an impact on me, which means everyone that I touch, it's going to have an impact on, it's having an impact on you, and it is having an impact on what I, I think what, what Jung was talking about, right? The collective unconscious, that, that yes. there is something rising that it feels here. Do, do, you, do you feel that? Do you have that sense that it's happening? Yeah, a thousand and ten percent. And on a very personal level, it's affecting me too. I, I want to acknowledge our different time on the planet in three-dimensional form. This is actually really special to me. You know, I grew up in an environment where if I were speaking to people in your body types with our age difference, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there would be a lot of control, a lot of depression a lot of sarcastic put downs and I from you or from the uh, or, or from from us elder <laughs> from yes me. continue and and probably a lot of walking on eggshells from me mm. as well because of my wounds in the space and sure. the work i've done in the last few years too of acknowledging clearly acknowledging the value of my of my elders there's great wisdom but also this i had this sort of awakening about five years ago i was like wait a second if if i was only meant to get information down from people who are older than me then we wouldn't live in a world where we're all coexisting we'd live in little bubbles where someone would send me a message and i'd be like okay so i think there's really great learning and i put this into practice actually if we're going to have a conversation about ageism and generationalism there's a dear friend of mine who I met on set and we were talking about a non-hormonal contraceptive pill for women and how it's been developed. There's not enough funding in this space and blah, 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 blah. And she said, you should talk to a really good friend of mine in Germany who is pioneering a lot of this research and study. I said, okay, great. So I met this friend of this friend and we now meet every couple of weeks just to chat. She's a generation below me. We're totally different worldviews in so many ways, but we just sit and commune and I've, I've learned so much from her about things that my generation is totally getting tingle factors. It's just a very recent, I was like, yeah, I am practicing what I, what I espouse. It's really exciting to, to have that gift back too. And I think too, especially with the George Floyd and Brianna Taylor and, and the sort of a more, more, more publicized awareness to those community of generally less melanin levels, and I say that because this is a conversation that I had been in years before and I was almost, well, I wasn't almost, I was angry that it was a hard conversation to have amongst people who looked like me is that it, it dawned on me when I was having to talk to elders and even people my own age about some of these concerns that were happening and checking our own inner racist and what that meant and the history of that. And a couple of family members refusing to talk to me because I just brought it up. When that was happening, I called a really good friend of mine who's an American guy from Colorado. And I was like, hey, if at the age of 60 or 70 or 100 or whatever age I am, if I'm ever behaving that way, can you please keep me in check? <laughs> that, would be, that would be such a because conversation I don't think needs to be that, I don't know, chaotic. There's value to chaos. It helps us move and move through yeah. But there's also this sort of weird, yeah, actually, um, not to get biblical, and I, I'm going to misquote the Bible because I, I don't know it, but a friend of mine was quoting various uh, scriptures from it and this concept of loving thy mother and loving thy father. And I said, yes, 
But that also assumes that the mother and father are coming to you as complete whole beings that are untraumatized and don't have their own lashing out. You can love them unconditionally, but that doesn't mean you have to be subservient to, to habits that are harming between the space between the two of you. And mother and father might be more global than just the immediate parents that birthed you too. It's also a bigger conversation if people have come from adopted homes that that I don't think the love thy mother and father is like, you better do this or else. Da, 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 da. It's a have that space to be present to it, I, I think, in my, in my humble candor. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm totally with you. It, and it feels like because it feels like each generation takes us as far as it can. And then like a relay race or like a booster, like a rocket, you know, here's the first stage. It takes us as far as it can. And then the next stage takes us as far. And I love that you're looking at the millennials and the Gen, uh, Gen Z and this and looking at them and going, wow, what can I learn about claiming my voice that I had given away? What can I learn? Because t- I'm, I'm, I'm deeply in, involved in, in the, the movement of how, how do alpha women show up? How, how do women show up as leaders? We're talking about women who have to take people into battle or have to take people into major conflict and resolution and, and infrastructure and immigration. Our, our vice president has taken the uh, part of her portfolio, this entire Central American and, uh, and uh, uh, migration uh, system, you know, taking that under report. Oh, my God. And that's going to require women claiming their space and claiming their voice and claiming their leadership. Clara, talk to us about solar lunar. Sure. <laughs> That's just the beautiful opening. I'm biting. I, I, I want to hear it from you. <laughs> yes. So solar lunar, thanks to my teachings with Howard, Dr. Howard Teich and our friendship. It's, it's interesting. I, I have a little resistance to solar feminine, solar masculine, lunar feminine, lunar masculine. And I have a little resistance to these terms because of what Gen Zs are teaching me as a millennial about gender identity. What do I mean by that? I mean, when I was 12, my dad brought home this beautiful recording of a, of a pan flute. And I remember listening to it. I loved it. And then I was like, what is pan? Pan, 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 pan. Now, pan food is very different to pansexual. But it took me down this rabbit hole of Googling that. Well, maybe not Googling encyclopedia. I can't remember. <laughs> but anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and I remember reading about this when I was 12 going, oh, that's me. I really, that makes sense to me. Pansexuality makes sense to me. That makes sense. And the extent of that, too, was that often this imposition of what it had to mean to be female. I never really got it. Like, I just didn't understand certain things. Not that there's anything wrong with any of it, but there were moments where I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. And I'm being told because I have to do that because that's my anatomy. I don't get it. So with the cocktail fusion of that, there are moments where I think, I think the binary is useful for fast tracking labeling for conversation so that we understand what we're talking about quickly. And we don't have to be here for 700 hours analyzing the meaning of a, of a word, which is side note, 
I'm doing some research with some universities right now about diagnostic belief systems and the and just sort of analyzing the different sort of big labels that we use and the triggers inside those labels and the assumptions interculture and then outside of the cultures too and then when you're dealing with people from different languages translating what certain words mean and 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 the nuance of that so going back to the gender thing one thing that really excited me from the sort of awakening of non-binary conversations a more common thing was not that we should all be fighting each other. I think if you identify in a certain body, go for it. Call yourself male, female, whatever. It's great. But but the the nuance of going, oh, right. It's, we don't have to be quite that rigid about how we see that. Also, because people are born with, with not specific anatomy from time to time. It's quite Thank common. You. And a third gender is not a new concept. Yes, tell me Thank that. Thank you. So I'll ask you this. What if we were to look... At, at Howard's model and merely removed the masculine feminine and just did lunar solar, yeah. that the lunar leads and the solar executes. So therefore, it, it works perfectly. The, the model works perfectly without having yes. to genderize it. Yeah, and then because we genderize it if someone's struggling to understand the concept. Yeah, if they need to. I mean, we can. We can use it as a tool, pick it up as a tool if we need it, pick it up if it's something that happened. But if it doesn't, doesn't it work psychologically in that way? What do you, Clay, do you? Well, and that's the conversation that, uh, that, that I'm having, that Howard and I are having with, uh, with Ann Smith and Patricia Farrow because we're doing a panel at the Parliament of the World's Religions in October. And it's the basis of it is the solar lunar concept. Mm -hmm. And the, the first thing we said, well, let's call it gender free. And um, I said, well, let's consider our audience from religious traditions from all over the world and what is that saying how is it how are they going to hear that and so we had to move back from that gender free but that's the essence of what we're getting at right and that even with those speech clients i was referring to they come with something and it's 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 the it's the guide's mission i think to help them see where they come out on the other side so i think it's wonderful that you're acknowledging well they probably would be more easily able to hear it through the gender lens until we get to a place until we get it is a it is a route along the way that allows us to have that conversation that goes i mean it's, it's like it's like the idea of privilege that is a very difficult comp concept for some people to say, hell, I worked hard. I earned it. I what do you mean privilege. I didn't have any privilege. Don't get, don't tell it. Okay. <clears throat> I understand that. So that we must find another way into that conversation as you were talking about Clara. I remember one of your wonderful podcasts, 89, I think discussing the 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 elder the child the the masculine the feminine i might have got those paradigms a bit mixed up but that resonated to me hugely and then i thought about 
the astrology and I know you're both connected to Richard Tarnas, which is really exciting and, and the gifts that astrology gives us too, of sort of energy type. And another example with a, with a, with a former bow of mine, I remember we were, I was on a mission. You, you asked about alpha womanhood. I very much on some level came from a lineage of solar blind spots or solar shadows or, or solar feminine wound mm-hmm. with solar masculine gender but yeah solar kind of distortion sort of imposing rather than taking action and and the mirror of that with the with the lunar on on the maternal side so that flavored my need to assert myself because if i didn't assert myself i would be bulldozed as a female in the 21st century and you know i yep. there's a you have to step forward and so there were there were confusions in my mind about certain things but also clarity so for example with this former beau we went out to dinner on our first date and I never let anyone pay for me I was like how dare you know do that put it down the middle or nothing and I'd never appreciated as I was blossoming more into my complementarity of my lunar and solar that are healed rather than, than shadow blind spotted the the offense that my blind spot was then meeting up against their blind spot or their wound their masculine wound to have to present a certain way and so in that dynamic of lesson i then started to find a more graceful side of me that i could receive with more ease without being afraid that a man was going to bulldoze me and and you know throw me into a van and send i don't know take me up to the woods who knows what i had created in my mind but so as i was that <laughs> uh, lessons started to form as well and that goes back to the four quadrants that you were mentioning in your podcast a while back that I have a huge inner child spirit I'm not sure if that's <laughs> that's obvious oh really <laughs> but my inner child is often the sort of hyperactive little boy spirit energy that's inside yep. Sure, there's astrology around that that supports that. La, 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 la. But I also have a very feminine awareness. I'm aware of my sort of sensuality, and I avoided that for years too because I was scared if I put that forward, I would either be a kind of Lilith, or and and victimized and then shamed for that, or I would be dealing with people who didn't know how to deal with my energy, and so I overcompensated. I'm like, no, they can they can figure that out for themselves. They'll, they'll be they'll be fine. And so fast forward to spaces where I'm now on dates and I'm able to receive and, and able to have this conversation. There was one night that this beau was walking me down the street and he, he walked on the side of the cars, right, to protect mm-hmm. the cars. And it had been a really lovely night. I was sort of very much in my complementarity of solo lunar. There were, my lunar was leading, my solo was executing, it was all good. There were no blind spots from both of us. And I jump on his side in return. Because uh, I said, why did you do that? And he goes, I'm protecting you. So I jumped on the side. I was like, I'm going to protect you now. <laughs> really upset him. And I said, oh, and we held space. I said, look, I, I don't want to upset you. But I have to be honest, it, it truly is coming from a place of wanting to protect you too. I, I am happy to receive that from you. But I also want you to know that I care about you too that much that I would, I would like to give you that same, that same love and respect and protection. And my inner child boy spirit is having a great night tonight and wants to play, like wants to play in the sand pit and be silly. And there are no cards. It's the middle of the night. There's no one here. And it's irrational almost that you walked on that side, but I'm in that spirit of play. And then that allowed him to heal as well. So it was kind of cool, this paradigm of me coming to the table, sort of very alpha distorted, alpha blind spotted, for want of a better solar distorted healing that and then realizing on the other side the sort of the domino effect of the the mutual healing and that sort of constant gift giving which was 
Oh, what a fantastic hour, <clears throat> Clara. Uh, may this not be the only time that we have an In Search of the New Compassionate Male time with you. There's going to be an after party with you and Clay for you to continue on. And I encourage everyone to continue on to see where this is going to go <laughs> and how this is going to go. But you are a pip. What fun, what Gladys Knight is celebrating in the, in, you know, and saying, oh, I got another one there, <laughs> right? There is no, you are, you're amazing. Thank you so much. And Clay, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to produce this particular prod, podcast. And Clara, uh, thank you uh, a thousand times for the beginning of uh, conversations I want to have with you. I will reach out to you. And I want to thank everyone for coming to this particular podcast and feeling if they are feeling if you are feeling anything like I am feeling today you know that this was a holy time and we will see you next time in search of the new compassionate male thank you so much that was so much oh you know know, we never know where these podcasts are going to go and out of this will be number 94, I think. Um, they've all gone in the perfect direction. Was it political? What? You? Yeah. Oh, heavens no. I mean, I, I do I do honor the, the binary because there's use in that too. But then in my mind of all the, the Latin that I've studied, the ancient Greek I've studied, the very early stages of Arabic that I'm studying, and an awareness of other languages. Other languages have different gender uses that's not so prescriptive as he and she and yeah i mean latin has had ancient latin has had a third gender in it forever i see and so it's not really it's not really a new concept for humanity and and i haven't read the original scriptures of a lot of the of the original source material that Howard uses, for example, even the Inanna stories in the Sumerian texts, I can only assume that there can't just be binary in those texts. If places like ancient Rome had a third gender, the Endo period in Japan had a third gender, mm-hmm. that's also a bit charged because often the third gender was connected to to sex work based things. Mm-hmm. But, but it hasn't always been that. And, you know, in terms of Native American, first people in, in America, the, mm-hmm. the different spirits, two-spirit people, it's not... It, it, the resistance to hold space for it really actually perplexed me. I have to find compassion for that because I don't understand the resistance to it. And then that's why I mentioned to you and Dennis the privilege that I have of not only education, but of the assumption of compassion that I go, wait, but we've always had this stuff, but I have access to that thought because I got educated in those thoughts and not for gender politics at all. It was just because we were learning different languages. Right. You know, I, one way that's helped me move out of the strict binary over the years is, is I think of a rope. Yeah. And you have to have the two ends of the rope or there's no rope. Yeah. And likewise, if you don't have what's in the middle, you don't have the ends. Yeah, I love that. I love that analogy. Yeah. yeah. 
because they're really i mean i just because i have a female body i have no issue if a person with my body wants to do their nails do their hair wear high heels wear push-up bras get plastic surgery whatever else it entails to be feminine make hundreds and thousands of babies there's no resistance to that i just don't know if it has to be prescriptive for everyone with the same anatomy right well my hope is that we're growing in our in our consciousness to a place where we can look at things at a bit of, bit of a higher level and i was i was just on a <laughs> the hour before this podcast i was being interviewed uh-huh. and um the point that i that we were talking i don't brought it up but i said you know <clears throat> you know this is a generality but in general women tend to be a little bit more conscious than men mm-hmm. Okay. And the woman who was interviewing me, because she was saying, well, how do we help the men? And I said, well, you're more conscious than I am. And you can't reach down and pull me up. We're not going to let you do that because of the level of consciousness that we're at. That's work men have got to do with men. And that's the work that I'm doing with my men's circle. It's a contemplative approach without judgment and nobody's trying to fix anybody. We're holding space for one another and we're men nurturing men into manhood. Not beating them into manhood, but nurturing them. Well, our consciousness as we rise, then we're at a place where we can accept the help and support because we do need that help and support and it goes both ways what you're doing is amazing i used to work with a group in australia called white ribbon i think there's a group in california too it's essentially men for men teaching men that violence against kind of anyone but specifically women and children is not okay and i think there's great value and healing that they're doing but also there, you know, that piece was missing when I was working in that space of the men for men nurturing, just men, just the space for that. I'm going to use this term on purpose. That's an incredibly intimate space and it's full of compassion. And if you don't think that men go to that space at some time or another, you know, let's go back to the Bible. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. John fifteen thirteen. That's all about compassion. And to give one life for another is the ultimate in compassion and it's the ultimate in, in intimate connection. So we have it. That's our nature. That's our nature. You know, the person next to me is about to fall over in their chair. I don't sit there and go, well, I wonder what I ought to do. No, I lunge for that person. I may not like them, but I'm going to stop it. You know, that's, that, that that's innate that's in our dna that's compassion okay. now let's let's grow that if we have time that makes me think of something we have all the time in the world i'll do my best to explain it it's a complicated thought at the moment going back to solar blind spots <clears throat> i was communing with a friend who had shared that oh their mother had experienced sexual trauma and that this friend who's a, their son did not know about it until recently. And, and it's unusual that 
people would know about that anyway necessarily but that when the son found out about it and then discovered that his sister had had a similar experience his immediate reaction to the sister was shame of himself for not being there to protect her which i think goes back to that chair analogy you're sharing but because of the pain that he had described his mother had been through and the solar blind spot and anger that had then sort of nurtured itself inside of his mother and then that went out lashed out on him when they were growing up as kids and all that kind of stuff it meant that the lesson of go grab that chair to help them out was i'm a bad person for wanting to grab the chair and help out or or I'm the chair falling over and I'm causing this pain when he's not the chair at all. That's an odd analogy, but I guess the point I'm getting at is I was learning. First of all, I fully agree with you. Compassion is innate in all the men that I've ever met. And yet there's something that goes on that suppresses that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And in the space when it comes to sexual trauma, I have seen this more recently as I'm getting older that when someone learns about that sexual trauma and they are not necessarily, oh, they're still on their journey of how to navigate those conversations. The first reaction I've often seen is a shame that they weren't there to protect the person that had undergone that trauma, even if they didn't even know them at the time. And the core of that reaction is so, so beautiful and loving but then the shame, the sort of self-shame that goes on is, is so distorted and unnecessary. Is that shame in our DNA? Oh, I guess I was thinking it was learned behavior because they weren't allowed to talk about it or be there. But you're- well, I agree with that. Oh, I fully agree with that. I mean, it's suppressed. Yeah. You know, call it the patriarchy if you want. You know, it's we're, we're and that when we're all wounded by that. I have heard... And, I, and it kind of makes sense to me that I had, as a child, high anxiety. I believe that because my mother, that she was prone to high, being very demonstrative, being high energetic, and have high anxiety as well. And as I was growing in her womb, that was growing in me. As when she was growing in her mother's womb, you know. So the generational wounding and the opportunity for generational healing is there. So I think we're, what I make up about that is yes, compassion is innate and we're born with these emotions and the sense of the lowest vibration shame. And we have to grow ourselves out of that. Yes, this person I was talking to was generalizing that the often the male archetype carries with them quicker access to shame than, than the female archetype. And the, and the benefit of that is that when they're in that space, they go into the shame to learn from the lesson. They can then level up. So I agree with that. And I would submit that there are a lot of guys out there that don't have the balls to do it. Yeah. Well, because it's very intimate. It goes back to that parable that you mentioned from the Bible that mm-hmm. when they, when you really help a friend out, when you really look at a friend, when you really look at yourself, when you really look at your family's ancestral generational pain, it's very intimate. Yeah. And intimacy, I think, on some level demands change. And change is physiologically scary, even if it's generally a really good, safe, healthy option. But it's scary. Your body's going to change. You go through go through something different it's the unknown 
I might add to that, that it, it really opens the door for change. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It may, you know, maybe pushing through the door, you know, <laughs> hoping it's open. And at least what I've witnessed is that the concept of change is tough for humans because we don't really know what's on the other side. Generally, in my experience, it's a good thing on the other side, but we are created in a sense of habit. That's what I teach with the public speech coaching. That's why it's so easy to teach people to do different accents once they've have got a habit of different muscular movement. It's easy to teach people how to speak from the heart once you've taught them a sense of muscle memory movement as well as connecting to their authenticity. Because once you've done that's why it's easy to exercise. That's why gym junkies are, is a thing, right? Once you're repeating, 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 you can keep repeating it. But if you're asked to change the pattern, it, it will physiologically shift something. I don't know. I mean, going back to yeah. this concept of radical empathy or fighting for peace, I used to joke to my mom, I was like, I need to be the fascist uh, peace dictator where I demand. <laughs> and, and, and under Clara's rule, we would all learn conscionable conduct and we would all learn change, the, the beauty of change, right? Like even the bud of a rose opening up is, is a shift. There's a change. There's a resistance. There's a lunar intelligence. And then there's a solar activation. And in that space is the change. I, I didn't have it as bad as my brother did. But when, you know, especially when often boys go through puberty growth spurts, the pain of the body pulling on itself as it's shifting. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I can relate to that. You know, earlier today, I was sitting in on the final um, session of a, uh, of a symposium. And it was about men. So I was watching this and all the incredible work that was being done. And it's the message is gender equality. And we've got to fight for this and fight for that. And I said, okay, that's one way to look at it. That's a step along the way. But I had this sense of loss that I wasn't, that I had not put my voice into that circle because I, I could have been heard. And then I was working with somebody later today, very successful. And I was looking at the website professionally done and, and just really that side doing big things. And I looked at both sides and I said, you know, I want to be there, but I want to be there, but, and here I was in the middle and I was in neither space and I went to shame and uh, it took me some, some time to say, clay, you know, be clay, <laughs> bring out who you are. You're, you're calling me in on myself too this morning i had a very important audition for a theater team that i really admire and i showed up as as clara as clay like i showed up in my fullness but i haven't done that for so i mean i do that all the time for work but i haven't done that so long in the theater community just because there's been no theater <laughs> so that mm -hmm. it it scared me as i left like, yeah it took me a while to get to say to myself you did you Good, good. You, you let yourself be seen. You bring up a really good point. 
There are times when I'm afraid to show up as Clay when Clay needs to be loud and powerful, demonstrative, emotional, and bring it all out. It scares me. And because I don't get a chance, I don't give myself that chance to do that because I've attached that. Well, I give myself a chance, but I've attached that to that's bad to raise your voice because it's, it's attached to violence. Where's the fine line from being demonstrative and being violent? It's the person who's watching it. They get to call the shot on that. I don't get to call the shot. I was just being demonstrative. No, you weren't. You were being violent. Who's right and who's wrong? Right. I'm going to add to that. I do think when one is aligned in their solo lunar, it's almost like that becomes an anchor. So there's a, there is a, there is a complementarity there that I can be assertive without it being aggressive. Side note, when I'm teaching public speaking too, I have a lot of clients who come to me because they're too angry, but that's generally because they're afraid as they're trying to be assertive. So it's coming across as angry, whereas they just want to be assertive. So that, that in itself is looking at a blind spot, butting up against a, a healing spot. But when the anchor is there, I think it gives a good litmus test because it also, in your example, it assumes that the person who's giving that feedback has also done the healing work. And they can see what is what is coming at them too intense, or what's their trigger for certain stuff. Right. I think it, and it's. I think it's an ongoing conversation. But I, but I, even going back to that partner discussion that I was saying before, I showed up pretty, very not pretty, very assertive. I was offended to hear what that mentor had said about, well, why do you have to do all the work by putting on a condom? Side note, just for funny, I think this is funny. Uh, so I, I do a generic, perfect American accent, which is not on now. I'm sort of talking to my sort of fusion hybrid <laughs> but when i've got my perfect american accent on i remember i was on set for my one of my first film projects and everything was perfect and then i said in the script i had to say the word condom and i shouldn't say condom and this the director turned and was like wait where are you from i said uh, uh, is that you from boston i was like oh, okay <laughs> and then i learned in america it's condom condom yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, i was angry internally I checked myself I'm enjoying that I now come to the table when I've done a little work on myself so I'm not coming angry but uh, but it felt important to come assertive to to be very clear that there was an offensiveness here for personal reasons and also for for ancient spiritual female reasons right and that that the conversation needed to be had that the conversation was an attack on his person it was just a conversation that needed to happen to discuss. And I do think, I do believe, I feel that the energetic work, because I came with my, with my lunar leading and then my solar asserting, the person that met this information could have shut down, could have yelled at me back. How dare you? Da, da, da. But he met me in a space of, yeah, I hear that. Yes. Yes. I love that. And that using that metaphor, using the solar lunar as the anchor, brings to mind um, David Hawkins book power versus force. And what you were just talking about was the difference between force and power and the grounding that solar lunar has to bring that power. And that's, that can come through gently or it can come through 
big, but it's all embracing. There's no force in it. I wonder too, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel a synergy with you because I too sometimes am afraid of coming off too mm-hmm. demonstrative. And and I wonder if that's because of seeing that solar blind spot in my father where it could come out as that sort of Sicilian, mm-hmm. almost violent to protect. I mean, Sicily was invaded by everyone, the poor Sicilians. <laughs> yeah. Over like, everyone needs to stay off our land and I think the result that creates a culturalism and um, I adore my father he's amazing but looking at that as a as an archetype right that solar blind spot that solar shadow it makes it sometimes hard to say no no standing in power is good it doesn't have to as you said lead to doesn't have to be forceful right that's not to say that there's not a place for force Exactly. Agreed. There's a place, there's a time and a place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But you're right. It's a fine, it is a fine balance, I think, because it, it, it kind of, based on what we've been talking about, to me, it sounds like we're saying the responsibility is in the individual to have that solid lunar anchor in order to have it come out. Yes. Such a rich conversation. I just love every minute of it and all the energy that you bring. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's a wrap. (laughs) Now, what do you want? What do you really want to say? (laughs) A little chaos for the spirit. You know, that's what I really (laughs) want.